1: Okay, everybody. Welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards Podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Larry Hughes. And today we have a special guest, Mike Prada. Uh Mike is the founder of SB Nation's Bullets Forever blog. He's also a senior NBA writer for SB Nation and currently is working on Prada's Pictures, uh Nexus an and O's focused NBA newsletter. So Mike, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Um Believe in wizards. I, I, I didn't realize that's how it like kind of phonetically sounded, and now it makes total sense. I was like, "What is the name of this podcast exactly? I, how does it kind of flow?" Okay,
1: believe in wizards. And we're a part of a, a larger believe podcast network, so we didn't we didn't start with the name. We've okay. gotten a little questioning on on how to do it phonetically, but it's just like the word believe. Uh, so the whole podcast network. The point is to put a host with a uh, with a former player, and so like uh, Rick Barry does the Warriors podcast. Obviously, okay. Larry's here on our Wizards podcast. So that's kind of the you know the okay the whole genesis of stuff.
2: Interesting. What if you what if you don't believe in the team at that point?
0: Well, you you hit the leave button and you you exit. <laughs> but for us, I mean, for us, you know, we believe. Yeah, I get uh, it. You know, in in the system, obviously, we want all realms of of information you know regarding the nba and we're just going to you know highlight and put some focus on you know what the wizards are doing and, and how they compare And you know there's always a standard so you know if we want these guys to, to reach that standard then we must we know we must talk about it We must believe that's right okay fair enough
1: uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the goal here is to to help people uh, get on the same page, and and I think you know Larry gives a, a different perspective here than a lot of the other uh, you know sort of wizard centric um, media material. So uh, a lot of a lot of the play in here is that when we have actual basketball, you know, I can go to Larry and say, hey, why did they do this? You know, why would a coach go to this play down the stretch, and and we can get a little you know behind the scenes here.
2: Yeah, absolutely, that's awesome, and I hope there's no actual basketball to talk about soon. What do we like? What do we think? Like July?
0: July sounds about right when we're going to come back. Well, I mean, that's a question that we, you know, that, that we want to ask you, just, you know, your thoughts on it. And, and also, you know, what what have you been doing, um, you know, during this time of, of no basketball? You know, what have you been up to?
2: Uh, Well, I got furloughed, which was not cool. Um, I've spent a lot of time watching old games. I popped in and 2005 game five against the bulls recently i think you had what like 15 points in the first quarter i remember yeah, yeah you got was was like a, a hot start um doing a lot of that stuff trying to find connections between the old days and the modern day because i mean it's crazy watching some of these games from the 90s even to watching a 2005 game compared to a 2020 game it, it just looks different everybody's standing in different places like you know people are cutting inside for two point jump shots in two thousand and five, and nobody is doing that now, so it's 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 an interesting experience. I think it kind of gives you a new appreciation of how the game is played today for better or for worse. um so I've been doing a lot of that and yeah, mean I don't know when this is i feel I feel kind of strange. how can I possibly like properly evaluate like if my job is to explain like how what you guys are doing on the court and what it is. It feels almost unfair to do it in the midst of when you guys come, when players come back and there's a pandemic, like I feel weird about like kind of analyzing basketball. It can't feel the exact same. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens when when you come back, but it, it just, it seems like it's going to be such a different game and it's going to be almost unfair to like kind of evaluate players based on the circumstances that they're going to be involved in. I mean, I can't imagine what it would, I mean, I feel like there must be so many conflicting thoughts for some of these players. Like obviously they want to have unfinished business with the season. There's their own money on the line, but how can you feel totally comfortable coming back amid
0: the circumstances? So you, you feel like, you know, you feel like some of the guys will get, or some of the teams, you know, if we do resume, you think they'll get uh, some sort of a pass uh, just because of the circumstances? Or do you feel like, uh, you know, a, a guy like a, say a, a uh, Stephen A is is still going to you know berate <laughs> you know, someone if they don't play well uh, yeah. coming back from this thing.
2: I don't think that the players will get a pass. I just know that, like, for me, it's just – it'll feel – and I don't think, like, what I try to do is, like, kind of this is wrong or right. I try to think more in terms of this is why a thing works the way it does for a fan, but – yeah, I'd feel kind of strange being like, yeah, you missed that ro- That rotation was late. What are they doing double teaming there? Oh, well, their their state of mind is all kind of fucked up because of the coronavirus. I would feel weird about it. I'm guessing a lot of people wouldn't. And I'm maybe I just sort of, I mean, maybe like I like other media members and like other players would be able to compartmentalize and put myself in the game. I mean, that's the one thing that players are just so incredible at doing is just to like when the game is on the game is what they focus on but i would feel weird about it there's no question about it
1: for the first couple weeks i think it's probably hard to be super critical on somebody's level of play and larry for you playing like around a lockout did you notice sort of less media criticality that year as opposed to other seasons or or not really
0: you know what not really um but, but you know, like, like Mike is saying, I mean, you're able to, you know, take yourself to a different place and, and understand the job that's at hand. Obviously, um, you want to be on that stage. You want to be in front of, you know, millions of fans, thousands of fans in the arena, which that's going to change. Uh, but I think that helps the mindset of, of you know, what's your ultimate goal is to show your talents to the world. And, um, you know, you're going to do that at all costs, really.
2: You were with Golden State during the 9-9 season or were you still with Philly? I'm trying to remember.
0: I was with Philly. You were still with Philly.
2: I mean, was it hard to, I mean, I can imagine condition-wise it was difficult to just sort of get back into the swing of the season. then you guys are playing back-to-back-to-backs at different points. Like, that's the thing I worry about for players coming back now is so many of these guys don't have gyms in their homes. And so how much have they really been staying in shape? and They can't really go to a gym because of the lockdowns. And then suddenly, I guess they're going to have a training camp, but they're going to be thrown right back in there in the throngs of a playoff race and then a postseason. You know, that must have been really challenging during the lockout. And I worry we're going to have a similar situation happen now.
0: Yeah. And I I think, you know, just with the guys and, and how they train, you know, now it's, it's a lot of functional training. It's a lot of core strength. Right. Um, so those things, you know, you would expect, you know, for a, a player to keep their body, you know, their core strong. And you talk about, you know, the, the cardio piece of that's a different animal. Um, right. You can't simulate that. You can't work out to simulate that. There's nothing you can do except throw yourself in that fire, mm-hmm. and then, you know, recover from it. Right? Shock the body, recover, and then your mind understands that your body can go a little bit further. And mm-hmm. that's a process that's going to happen you know, over, over a few weeks, that's not, you know, a, a day-to-day process. That's something that happens, you know, over over a course of a, of a few weeks to, to properly let your body recover, you know, shock that body and recover.
2: I'm actually interested in what you're saying about that. It's a lot more about core strength because you, you, you really see that. It seems like you played in an era where it was like the transition was made sort of during your time. Is that a fair way of putting it? Like what later in your career, was there more emphasis on core strength than what? And rather than I guess what, like kind of traditional lifting, uh, getting stronger in the upper body and stuff earlier in your career, is that, that's really the change?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I could say there was a changing of of the thought process of of training, uh, probably around 2008, nine, probably closer to 10 maybe. Okay. um, When you just weren't thinking about, you know, racking the weights up and, and, and going to hit the weights, you were really doing, you know more body exercises. Right. You know more functional exercises.
2: Why do you think that was? Was it? I mean, I, I, my theory is that some of it was based on the way the game was, the rule changes, and the spacing is. If you're driving to the basket from a long way away, it requires more core flexibility than if you're posting up and turning around and shooting. I mean, is that why is it that it changed so much?
0: Yeah, I think just the the functional training is is relates to the spacing on the court. So there's more spacing now, and your movements are are have to be that much more efficient. Um, and I think that that, you know, came into play as far as training is, as how can I make my body more efficient? And that starts to talk about those little small muscles, you know, those little core muscles, those fast twitch muscles. And you just couldn't get that with your traditional uh, bench press squats. Um, so I think guys started to transition into, you know, more of that, you know, that functional training where you're actually using all of those small muscles that make your body more efficient to move.
2: It's interesting. I hadn't real, I hadn't considered that that would be easier to do because a lot of that you don't need weights for, maybe, or some of it you do, some of it you don't. I hadn't considered that maybe that type of training is easier to do in a quarantine situation than maybe the type of training that was required the 99 lockout. I hadn't even really thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: Bands and flexibility and and things like that. Maybe a little yoga here and there too, like stuff you can do at home as opposed to needing a big rack of weight.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's been proven to to be more successful over, over the long haul. Um, You know, not putting as much uh, strain on your body due to the weights, but making sure that your muscles are stretched, uh, making sure that those core things are strong, um, you know, and really supporting the body as opposed to just, uh, building, you know, building the body up to be, you know, physically strong looking.
1: was there anything you noticed, Larry, around like recovery too? Is, is like, did that change over the course of your career at all? Like the ice baths and all those kinds of things. I know you guys got more rest toward the tail end, but anything like that?
0: I think it was just a matter of, of the evolution of the game. Um, you know, more science coming into play, um, you know, how the body really reacts. Uh, just, the, you know, the ability for for tech companies and things of that nature to to hook you up to a machine and understand exactly how your body works, exactly, you know, what you're losing, you know, when you go out to compete, um, you know, what sort of load, you know, you're having doing practices. These are all the things that the NBA tracks now. So when you talk about when's the proper time to have a cold tub, when's the proper time to have, you know, uh, an ice bath. I mean, those things are really uh, laid out, you know, now in, in a program where, you know, we're going to follow this, this program and this is going to keep you healthy and on the court.
1: It's really interesting, especially in the context of the last dance. And it sounds like Tim Grover was one of those guys that was kind of early on and training appropriately for basketball versus just, you know, baseball is different, basketball is different, like having the right muscle groups built up. So it's interesting to to hear you say that. So, Mike, I, I think I uh, just wanted to jump in a little bit here with um, some of the Bullets Forever stuff, if that's all right. Uh, I think uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, kind of the godfather.
2: You know the name was a
1: mistake? That's what I wanted to ask. So can you can you tell us that story?
2: So the original, I, I was just like some random dude and college student in Boston, just from the area. I wanted to, you know, it's funny, like actually, like Larry, your 05 team was really what got me back into the Wizards because I sort of, the end of the Jordan era didn't feel great to me. And I sort of stopped, for a couple of years there, I was not really paying as close attention, but, you know, the Gill era, the 05 run, then the 06 run, but, when I started blogging, the original name was Bullets Fever, which is a reference to the 1978 run, the uh, the song. And, you know, when at, at this time, SB Nation was barely much of anything. It was just a little so a collection of blogs. So they, when they said to me, OK, like, hey, do you want to just do it on our platform? I said, yeah, this is this is the name of the blog. And somehow they bought the wrong URL they thought Bolts Fever meant Bolts Forever because these are not people that are familiar with the 1978 fight <laughs> song of the Washington Bullets. Um, and so they, they bought that and they're like, oh, crap, like, this is going to cost us too much money. Like, you're going to kind of have to stick with this one then. And it was honestly the best thing, I think, because Bullets Forever has a much more of a ringing like back to the back to the past it's like a very it really invites someone who's really a diehard who actually knows the reference but it's not so obscure that it's from the 70s and people don't know about it so it kind of worked out as it kind of worked out really well and i was like oh damn it i guess i gotta use this new url from now on but i think without that url i don't think the site would have grown as much as it did to the degree that it did
0: what what do you feel about just the, the the name? I mean, or how you know how does the the area feel about the name? You know, the the bullets versus the wizards. I will should it...
2: Yeah, I think it's tough because there the reasons why Abe changed it in 1997 were, you know, from a humanitarian perspective, seem totally understandable. But um, you know, I think. The, way, the new name has no connection to the city, no connection to anything really at all other than alliteration. And if I recall, there are a lot of these stories. I mean, I don't remember how, I don't remember the specifics, but like there was like sort of the lottery where you could like pick out the name. And I feel like they rigged the results so that Wizards would win because Wizards is so uncontroversial compared to bullets. It's such a, you know, how can you, how can you get mad at like kind of a Merlin person, like sort of, whatever do I can't talk, but you know, like that. So it's weird to say like, you know, yeah, we want to go back to the nickname that like is associated with gun violence. Yeah. That's, that's what we really want. Like that feels weird, but I do think that there was something a little bit more like DC centric, a little bit more history with that name and what they replaced it with was something that you could import it from anywhere. Um, And so I think some people do feel a little bit of, do feel a little bit like, you know, our name is doesn't really signify anything about what our franchise is really about. Um, It's almost worse than like Utah jazz because jazz is so anti what Utah is about, but wizards just has no connection at all. And I think it's interesting. You see like uh, over time, it seems like um, maybe not necessarily by 05, but certainly recently they basically returned to bullets colors without changing the name. So it feels more like a bullets team Without having to actually go the extra step of like dishonoring a poll and changing the name back, so I guess it kind of has worked out in a way, but i I think it, I think that's the way I could sort of feel about it that maybe like bullets there wasn't anything special about the bullets name, but there's nothing special about the wizards name
1: if I remember correctly, it was a contest and bullets or er, and wizards wasn't even the number one vote getter. I want to say what? it was something even more ridiculous, like dragons was sea just, dogs that was up there or something like that too I mean they had like a couple really kind of random ones at the at the very top and just like eh, wizards alliteration cool let's go with that
2: non-controversial um and then the very fact that like they made it a fan vote and then apparently didn't pick the top one like sort of no fans gonna like that yeah. oh yeah you want our opinion but you're just gonna go against it yeah
0: that that doesn't sound great so, my perfect, perfect 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 world perfect world you get to choose what's the name of of, of the team
2: i think i'd go back to bullets I think I'd do it because I was thinking like, is there something like kind of like all the other like DC landmarky type of names I've been, cho- been taken. Like there's already a nationals, there's already a capitals. Washington Monuments, I think would sound kind of strange. And I, I don't know if I like the, the direct link to the ownership group that didn't really work out well with the Bobcats. Um, so I guess I'd probably just go back. Why not? That's fair. I think I'd That's go fair. back.
1: If there was a St. Louis team again, is there any buzz around like the the old spirit of St. Louis team? Like, is is that you know do people have a connection Great to that name, anymore? By
2: the way. Amazing name.
0: I I don't think so, but you know what? We're so you know starved and, and craving for an NBA team. We might take the Sea Dogs. I mean, <laughs> we, 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 hey, we take anything, man. To be honest with you, And we think about changing it. You know, ten years down the road.
2: St. Louis arches.
1: <laughs> um, so, so, Mike, when, when you started out with this stuff, I think you guys were probably the first real blog in the locker room after games and covering stuff head on. Is, is that fair?
2: It was us and uh, there was another blog, Truth About It, that got mm-hmm. in um, at the same time. Yeah, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I'm still incredibly thankful that they let me in. I, I think if that happened today, that would there's no way. They let me, and then then, no way they should, to be honest. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, But yeah, no, I just graduated at that point. I wanted to sort of try to find a way into this industry somehow. And so they were kind enough. They were definitely hard on us early on. We learned a lot, trial by fire. Um, I think Flip Saunders still hates me for a question I asked. Um, But yeah, I think- What's the
1: question? You gotta tell us the question. I I just remember,
2: you know what it was? I think um, this was one of those years I think Mike, one of the years Mike James was on the team, it was one of the years they were just awful. And Mike James was upset about the lack of playing time he got. And he talked to a couple of us about it and like how he felt like he should have been playing more. And I remember I wrote it up and Flip was really upset that I didn't talk to him about it. And I, this was like sort of after any chance I could have had to talk to him. And I guess he just thought that was like very unprofessional. You know, frankly, it probably was a little bit. I probably should have found a way to kind of get in touch with him even though there was no official availability. But from that, I think after that, he, there was one moment where I started asking questions. He just walked out of the press conference. He pulled a, it, that's not even pulling a pop. Like that's something worse. And flip, you know, flip Flip is the nicest guy ever. <laughs> like, so I felt like if I, if he was this upset, I mean, I really must've done something wrong. That's the story of why flip Saunders walked out of me in a press conference in 2011.
1: What's the the change in stigma been like from being like blogs first in the locker room to now? It's one of the major ways that people consume news about a team?
2: I mean it's interesting like what is a blog exactly in that in this context? It, over time, it just sort of became like a different medium to convey information. I mean, in some ways, like there probably should be a stigma over just some random 21 year old fresh out of college who was a fan of the team, like suddenly being like, "Yeah, I'm legit now." Like what good would an industry be if there wasn't any of that? Um, you know, I got lucky that there was, wasn't, I mean, from a player's perspective, I'm sure players are like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? Um, So I guess like it, I, I think it has changed only in the sense that like it was, for there was a period of time where it was easier to get in. And now I think we're, I mean, right now we're in a media industry where like, they're like, you have to be a really big player or you've got, bunch of people starting their own newsletters. Like the there's so many layoffs happening. I don't think it's all that different from the world we started in. We've kinda of almost gone back but back to where it was. And, you know, I'm not saying one was better than the other. Like I just think there probably should have been some gatekeepers. Um, and I just happened to come across a along at a time where they were relaxed and I was able to carve out a niche. But you know, if I had a chance to do it over again, there's a lot that I would have tried to do differently to kind of be a little bit um, more professional than what I was, how,
0: Mike. How how do you use that? I mean, obviously, like you said, there are a number of, of guys jumping or people jumping into into the lane. Um, you know, are you able to give back? Are you able to give information back? Do you have any vehicles set up to to help? You know, mentor, tutor, uh, yeah. other up and comings.
2: Yeah, I mean, my job with SB Nation for a long time was to be like the section editor rather than the writer. Um, and as I did that you know, we brought in a lot of, we brought in a lot of young writers who are now kind of thriving either for us or for other places or covering beats. Um, And I just remember like, one of the things I would always try to tell them is that, you know, you have to kind of be, you have to be aggressive. Like you can't be in your own head. Um, You have to be willing to kind of stick yourself out there a little bit. And people tend, would respect you, you know, if you are that, like, there are no rules in this industry, really. I mean, you just have to, you have to do and learn from doing. And I, you know, that was something that I think I did to some degree. And I think I could have done a little bit more. Um, And I think I I tried to put that out there to people. I also just think that no matter how many people are jumping in, there's still so many unique ways to talk about basketball. You know, if you want to be, if you want to talk about what's happening on the court, you can talk about what's happening on the court. If you're more interested in kind of talking to PJ Tucker about his pancake habit, which is what one of our writers did and something that was really fun, like there's an avenue for that too, to kind of reveal some more of the player's personality, you know, the key is I think to find what you really are passionate about and there's nothing, whether you get the access to the person or not, you can still pursue that lane effectively and still, carry it out and like to do it with enthusiasm and and to not be afraid to do that. And that's what I tried to kind of get across to some of the young writers that I've had the pleasure to edit um, that have gone on to do bigger and better things. Um, That's what I try to tell them.
1: Are there any guys for you that like, when you you mentioned being like a 21, 22 year old in the locker room that like pulled you aside and were like, Hey, young fella, that that's not the guy you want to ask that kind of question to, or or any of that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, there were a few. I think most people really were just were really nice about it. I mean, I, I guys like Mike Lee, who's still doing it for the athletic guys, like um, Mike Jones, who you now works for USA today doing, um, doing football coverage. Some of the older AP guys, some of the, the beat veterans, like each of them had different styles of sort of doing what the, Of telling me this stuff, Mike Wise from the Washington Post at the time. I don't know where he's at now. Some of the guys that were really there covering your team, Larry, you know, back in that that time, Ivan Carter. They were. They all had their different ways of sort of going about the business, and but I, I was. I don't think any of them really felt threatened by someone new infringing on their turf because I think they all understood that there was something. That they could do that I couldn't, and there was stuff that I could do that they couldn't. You know, I was able to present myself as a fan, to be not be totally like kind of straight, objective journalists. And they were all, I mean, really couldn't have been nicer, considering I was infringing on so much of their turf. Um, so I'm sure there are plenty of people I've forgotten, but those are some of the ones I remember. And you know, really, some a lot of the members of the Wizards PR team were really great. Um, I'm trying to remember who was there during 05 and if they're still there during 09, but, you know, some were again, some were did it with a smile, some did it with a scowl, but they all sort of gave imparted stuff that um, really helps me out, I guess.
1: Larry, what was that shift like from the player perspective when sort of the, the the faces in the locker room changed a little bit and the outlets sort of evolved?
0: Um, I, I think, you know what you, you quickly identify the people, you know, that you should talk to. Um, the the guys that you you know kind of give a quick comment to, uh, but I can you know speak for myself. You know the the guys that you know that were in the locker rooms and the media you know coverage that was you know from the D.C. area or covered the team. They were great. I mean, I think that that's why I have you know such a great feeling um, for the city and for the organization. You know, as a whole, just because of all the people that surrounded you know the, you know the entire process. So for me, you quickly identify you know, who's the right person to talk to and who's, you know, out to kind of make a name for themselves. Um, And that happens. So you obviously have to rely on the senior writers and the, you know, the senior staff, and then your veteran teammates to know exactly who, you know, you should give your time to, but players know, man, man, players, players know it it doesn't take long for for us to figure it out. And then once those opinions are formed, it's, 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 it's hard to break, you know, so, uh, my experience in D.C. was definitely uh, definitely positive. What would
2: it have been like if it was during the time when now – I mean, social media wasn't as big a deal back in 2005. I mean, I think a lot about what Kevin Durant's doing on Twitter now, um, just sort of the way he's, he's carrying himself for better or for worse. And I think a lot of these guys – it's almost immaterial sometimes what you would tell a reporter because you can tell people directly. Uh, for better or for worse. Like, people remember what Kevin Durant tweets more than what he says to
0: reporters. Yeah, and I I think that that's definitely, you know, an evolution, changing in in times. You know, I was in that that transition from the 90s players, you know, rolling into the, you know, the the late 2000s, 2010s. So we didn't – that's not how we, you know, communicated. It was, you know, we had, you know, one or two writers – you know reporters that were surrounding the system and those those two guys you know two or three guys really got all of the good information and then everything else was kind of you know a version you know of that you know not necessarily going into details and then the player just allowed that writer to figure out if there was more you know details to that story or to that event you know
2: yeah. it's not that different from how today works, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's still, in some ways it's sort of contracted more. I mean, I mean, now that the virus is happening, I mean, I wonder if like reporters are going to be allowed in the locker room ever again.
1: Literally know? a question on our list is do you, do
2: you think uh, that'll happen? I mean, I'm curious for the player perspective here because, you know, a lot of reporters and I, you know, this isn't necessarily as much what I do, but it's still something worth thinking about is that, you know, on the one hand, you know, it is necessarily unsafe. There are tons of us, and we are kind of infringing on a space that is sacred to players. On the other hand, you probably needed those moments to get to know the reporters to be able to have the rapport that you needed with them to, you know, probably helped you in the long run to like be able to build that relationship and have that time. And if that's taken away, it may be a situation where, I mean, obviously, media members are going to fight for all the access they want, but it also may be a negative for players because now it's like you're. The coverage isn't gonna stop, but now you have less idea of who's doing it. I mean, I don't know how much you guys follow European soccer. Are you guys like big soccer fans?
1: Not, not big. Okay.
2: So so their media gets very little access. And I think their media is much more rumor-mongering and salacious and untrue a lot of the time. And I think part of the reason is that they've got interests to fill, but they don't have ways to build, they don't they don't have that like kind of soft relationship building tactics. So, you know. There, there's a lack of understanding, I think, that, you know, in the long run, I think it actually is it's not just bad for me for media folks to be locked out of those situations. I think even though it may feel uncomfortable at the time, I think in the long run it's probably bad for players too. I don't know if Larry, if you agree with that, but that's the way I I would think. I think without that interaction, you don't get to know who's actually producing the stuff about you.
0: Yeah, I I think that there's a way to, to have it done. It's, it's not necessarily being in the locker room because again, when the reporters come in, you know they don't want, they don't want to talk to all 15 guys. You know they you know they're identifying, you know, two or four guys that they probably want to talk to. So having wow. that ability. Wait, to, wait to you, you're the,
2: saying I don't want to talk to the to the bench warmer? What, what really?
0: Nah, nah come you, on, you can, really? <laughs> you, you, nah, you, you can wait. You can, you can wait. You can wait. You can wait on that guy. You can, you can call that guy on the phone.
1: <laughs> I, tell, I, I tell you what, though, this year I walked up to Jerome Robinson right after he got traded. It was like a second game in the locker room, and I was like, "Hey, Jerome, nice playing out there." And he was like, "Tickled that, you know, one person broke from the thirty-person media scrum around Brad just to say hello." Like, he "Who like, the fuck are you?" Yeah, it, <laughs> why are you it, talking to me? That's awesome. <laughs> and He kind of looked around for a minute, like, "Okay." And I mean, I didn't stick stick it out, but I, it, I've always felt uncomfortable being in the locker room. Like, I feel like I'm I'm too in your personal space. Uh, the coach immediate. Coach media availability is much more formal, I think, and gives you some like downtime to to decompress after a game first.
0: But I, I think that's where, you know, guys recognize, you know, who those media members are, right? When you're when you're out of the shower, maybe you've had a good game, but if you're just fresh out of the shower and you're making your way to your locker, I prefer to put my clothes on before having that conversation. Sure. And a lot of guys do. I and totally it, get it. <laughs> if, if a reporter is not, you know, they want to get in, they want to be first, and they're they're right there with you before you get a chance to do exactly what you want to do, then that causes that friction or that I don't want to talk to that guy, sort of sort of confrontations. But like like players, they identify who those guys are that they want to give those stories to. And as we you know transition out of the, the, the pandemic. You know, I think that it, it won't be as bad as, as you know, the social distancing or, you know, crowded rooms. I think that, you know, we'll be able to find a way to have those conversations.
2: One fear that I think a lot of reporters have as well, which is not something that uh, has anything to do with players, but just that all these media companies have less money, so they're going to spend less money on travel so that they can go places. So they're just, through no fault of any players or any teams or whatever, they're just going to be fewer opportunities to have like sort of more of those times to get to know someone and that's nobody's fault but the media companies that are losing money um that's another fear that i think people have even if there was access allowed like i mean in 2005 you had guys that were on every road trip i mean like i can only go to every home game and i you know had other work to do so i couldn't necessarily go to the shoot arounds where you get to have chances to just sort of have more casual conversations and get to know people i mean after a game it's just a huge rush it's a difficult atmosphere to have that and i totally get it but if you if these companies are losing money they're not going to spend the money for the reporters to travel and that those will be lost opportunities too i think that's a fear that has nothing to do with the players though but that's another thing that may happen as a result of this
1: While you're waiting this thing out at home, you can still have some fun with our partner, BetOnline.ag. There's no NBA, NHL, or MLB, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR's back. There's the NBA 2K League, Madden Simulations, UFC, or even online casino and poker and blackjack. Coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joining to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling The Final Dance. There's still fun to be had at betonline.ag so use the promo code mypod100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again that's betonline.ag and use the promo code mypod100. M Y P O D 1 0 Betonline, your online wagering solution.
0: And yeah and, and as a follow up to that I mean you, you know will that or would that affect like deadlines you know when when you have to yeah. have things done? if they're not, if they don't have access to the locker rooms, if there's something separate that has to be done, you know, how does that affect, um, you know, the deadlines that are set by these papers?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, the deadline issue is kind of an interesting one because I mean, I, I've never had to really deal with it because I've never had like a pre a morning edition that I had to file to, you know, like I just, it was just a website. Um, So I've never really had that experience, but one of the things I had to learn and it took me a little while to figure this out and prove too long is that like the people who have deadlines like kind of you have to let them ask their stuff first because, you know, they're the ones that really have a time crunch. Um, but even like this, the nature of like coverage of a game, right? Like I one of the things I was doing before this is I was like what, looking on YouTube. I mean, the fact that I can find your game on YouTube from 2005 and I can find all this stuff. We don't have a problem of like we don't know what happened in the game there's so many ways that fans can figure out what happened in the game. So what exactly is the role of a reporter nowadays covering games? You know, are we really doing game coverage the same way? And if we're not doing game coverage the same way, because why would someone, someone watch the highlights or someone would do whatever, what is it that we're doing that adds value? And if it's not game coverage then do we need to deal with the same sort of like, Oh, I got to get my story in by 11 PM to meet the morning paper issue you know now i mean now you see a lot of these media outlets like the athletic you know where they're doing less game coverage and more coverage of the people Mm -hmm. more coverage of the trends that are more based on multiple games and i think that i actually think that's healthy for our profession like i don't think i think it is and i think it's healthy for everybody else too because it, it requires then less of that sort of mad rush to get sound after a game that leads to those cramped locker rooms and those cramped situations like why do we need to cover games the same way we used to Uh,
1: you know Larry you're obviously media savvy and just a nice guy in general but were there ever days like you know where someone kind of came up to you and hey you missed this jump shot and and you just had to like refrain from like getting like maybe snapping at somebody a little bit about it
0: not really man I was uh made all my jump shots (laughs) I was just really I was just really direct you know I I tell you like the jump shot it it can only do one or two things they can go in or not like it, it, that that's kind of how I, you know, that's kind of how I would answer that question is that, you know, yeah. things happen.
2: What if it was you blew that defensive assignment?
0: Uh you got to watch the film. You know, I got to go <laughs> back. I got to go back and watch the film. Yeah. Uh, check out if it was, you know, something I could have did differently. Um, you know, again, it's all about being in the right position. Uh, but yeah, I'll go and check that out uh, and see how I can be better next time. Standard answer.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I find interesting when I sort of really watch games closely is that, like, they're often there is no one blown assignment on a given play. You know, there is, there's an action and a reaction. And, you know, you may, someone may do something and that may cause someone else to do something. I think it's really hard to sort of, especially when you're watching defense. I mean, I remember when watching your 2005 game, you guys were in a zone most of that game five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you played zone a lot in that series. And, you know, in that situation, like I can look off the ball and I can see like, yeah, this, you were, you were sinking when you should have been, not sinking or you were you were a little off the nail and you should have been on the nail those are but I just think it's really hard to me- to evaluate one player's role in a defense in a defensive play especially because you're reacting to what the offense is doing so even though you have rules and that's especially true I think now in the way to, how fast the game is now you know your rule your rules and rigid systems go out the window when you're racing up the down the floor all the time.
0: Yeah, you you're relying on your principles and like you talked about the sinking and filling of the nail. Um uh, those are just the principles that you rely on. No one on the court is going to be in the exact same exact same spot the next time down the court. So that's obviously going to change, you know, your position, you know, on, on where you stand or how to best support your teammate. And I always said, you know, as long as there's some as long as there's someone behind you, you shouldn't have a blown coverage. Because either they're helping you and then you're supporting them. But, you know, there th- there should always be someone behind the initial defender. And if that person, that person that's behind that initial defender, if they're out of position, then I look to them as a blown assignment, not the initial defender. Right. That's
2: challenging now with everybody spaced out to the three-point line.
0: It, I mean, it's tough. I mean, that's, you know, guys are, are even before this, you know, this year, uh, it was just one contact and a bucket, right? The offensive player can make contact, and, you know, the defensive player, if they make contact, it's a foul. Right. So you're really straight line to the basket with one contact by the offensive player. That allows zero time for the, for the help side guys are in the corner to protect the basket or to get in there without an initial bump from a defender. So if we break the game down completely, I mean, it was – you couldn't fault a defender for for blowing an assignment or someone scoring a basketball because you weren't allowed to to, to play you know to play defense. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, and the help defender is like if the help defender is stuck guarding who's like a forty percent three point shooter as a big guy right now. I'm just drawing a blank. Bertons. Oh yeah, of course. Yes. What if like what if your help defender is guarding Bertons and Bertons sneaks away and gets a three? Everybody's like, how'd you let Bertans get open? Yep. Yep. But that's the stress that, like, offense has put on teams now. It's just – I think it's just – it's so hard to play defense in 2020 for so many – I don't think it's even the physicality element of it like you were talking about. I just think – imagine, like, the court
1: is now – It's a lot of Florida cover.
2: Yeah. It, instead of playing the game on, like, a circle that, like, starts at 23 feet, you're playing the game on a circle that starts at, like, 33 feet. And yet you don't have more people to guard the space. So, like, how are, what are you supposed to do? I, just, I feel for great defenders nowadays. I think it would have been interesting. Like I remember maybe I'm not describing the Wizards defense in 2005 very well, but I remember you guys were very much playing at passing lanes. You played a lot of passing lanes. You and Gil got a lot of steals. Um, you played much more up on teams than I think a lot of teams at the time. Again, I could be wrong, but that's what I remember. That may almost be a better style of playing defense now than it was then because now – People are all the way up there. I mean, how would the how would you have, have kind of played in 2020 on that end?
0: You know, I, I think we would have played it the, the same way. Um, and really what it boils down to is understanding, you know, what's being run uh, from the offensive side. And all of it is really spacing. Um, and we did a lot of work of just understanding angles and passing angles. Like if we played the passing lane, but we would watch your body to know exactly which pass that you could possibly make. And then we will react to that body movement. So it was still, you know, obviously thinking the game and understanding the game. Um, But all of the skip passes, all the corner passes that are thrown now, I mean, we we have a field day with those. Just just reading, (laughs) you know, just reading the direction, reading the only position for that ball to get there. I mean, LeBron is probably the only guy that could, you know, get those passes by us, you know, the, the way he throws them.
2: John Wall maybe could have.
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. That would have nah. been
2: interesting to see.
1: Nah. So so this combo is one of the reasons why I'm excited to to do this podcast when there's there's real basketball to talk about. Cause I feel like I spend like an inordinate amount of time with the rest of our fan base, like defending Thomas Bryant. And I'm I'm not saying like he's Alonzo Mourning or, or Dekimbe or something, but there's a lot of times where somebody gets blown by on the perimeter and he steps up and they're like, Oh, he's not, you know, he's not defending the rim. And it's like, there's, there's so many other things that go into him stepping over or if, you know, maybe he is late on an assignment, but that's not what you were doing in the terms of your defense. Like he was supposed to shade a different way. and Everyone just says, Oh, somebody scored. He's the big man. It's his fault.
0: Yeah. I, I know guys shoot the ball. Well, you know, obviously, you know, percent. Uh, but they're going to shoot ninety percent at the basket, so that's why you see the emphasis on, you know, the three-point shot. Obviously, you're going to you're going to contest the three-point shot, but you know, it, it's going to give you the most points, but it's not the most efficient. Uh, mm-hmm. If you talk about layup, so it's uh, this game is kind of evolving, and we're understanding, you know, what the metrics are and, and, and how to be, you know, more efficient uh, through every game. And the defense is playing a very small part of that right now I mean we're playing a very small part of of how the game is played you know now when you talk about the two-way players with Kawhi and you know a a few other guys but those guys are are far uh, in between and we still really talk about Kawhi's offense
2: well one of the things one of the interesting trends this season to kind of add strength to what Larry's saying was you know there was a time I think for maybe at the beginning this after after the three-point revolution really kicked in but before the last maybe two or three years where a sign of a bad defense, a, a sign of a defense that did not I gave up a an inefficient defense a defense that I don't want to necessarily say bad or good but just gave up a lot of points per possession was one that gave up a lot of three-point attempts because I think the reason is that you know three-point attempts are often the result for a while we're often the result of you know you swing swing ball movement and it was like sort of the defense got broken down. So if you're giving up a lot of threes, the defense is getting broken down. But what's interesting that's happened is that you take a look at Milwaukee and Toronto, they're two of the three or four best defenses in the league in terms of points per possession. They're both allowing a ton of three point attempts. So we're seeing now like to Larry's point, like a return of like, you know what? Like, yeah, the three point line is good, but like, wait, we have to remember that the basket is what really matters to protect you know, if we give up a lot of threes, like that's, we, we obviously want to contest those, but there, those two teams are also like number one and number two in the league at preventing shots at the rim. And that's what they basically decided. We're willing to give up a three to to prevent shots at the rim. And I think for a time, I think maybe inspired by the warriors, that wasn't the case. And I think we're now going back to an error. It's like, it's like a lot of teams are now being reminded. Oh yeah. Like layups and dunks are the problem here, not threes. Um, and, and it's starting to work and go back. It's just the cyclical nature of it is really interesting. me. I,
0: I, could, I couldn't have said it any better.
1: So, so Mike, you have a newsletter right now. It's sort of X's and O's focused. Is this the kind of stuff uh, you're you're getting into and breaking down for folks?
0: I try to, you know,
2: like, it's interesting. I'm not a player. I'm not a coach. I don't know. I've taught, I'm trying to teach myself the terms like the nail and the sink and recover and all the jargon that, teams use to get better. What I think I try to do is that, you know, most people who I think write about the schemes of the game are doing, especially video coordinators and coaches, they're doing so to help you be perform better. You know, they're saying this is, this is a mistake you made that you have to correct, or this is a tendency you have to do. The goal is to like help teams get better. Like that's the way it is. The way I write, I, I don't, I think more less about like, here's how I'm trying to help teams get better. And more about like, just like a normal fan, like kind of sitting and appreciating the complexity of this and trying to appreciate their viewing experience. Like here's, I'm going to try to make it so that that for you is more interesting, is more interesting and more enriching. So, you know, it's a totally different sort of perspective than someone who would write about who would kind of work for a team. You know, it's not that important to me, like kind of, it, these are less about like who is doing well and who is doing not doing well. It's more about like, this is a thing that's working. This is a thing that you know, works. So I think the the piece I'm writing right now is on uh, the Lakers and Le- LeBron James and their transition game. You know, LeBron is, you play with LeBron. He's obviously an incredible freight train in the open floor, but last year the Lakers ran more and ran less effectively this year. He's playing point guard. He's orchestrating the whole thing. And they're suddenly really good. I think there's a stat that they're, like, number two in the league and most points off missed shots or something like that. And it's, like, why is it that you take the the most tra- – the, the, the best, like, sort of freight train and why you tell them not to run the floor and yet you're so much better and, like, kind of explaining how they've mastered the art of playing fast without running fast and how it's now about efficiency. And, you know, those are the sorts of things where it's, like, I'm not – that's just sort of like kind of an interesting thing that I'm revealing. I'm not saying like, here's how the Lakers can be a better transition team or worse transition team, or here's how you stop the Lakers in these situations. It's more like, here's how the thing that you're seeing works is working. Um, So I think that perspective is, you know, it's a little bit more like I'm telling a story with clips rather than um, I'm trying to help someone get better. And I think that's, for a lot of people that's just very different sort of using the same type of coverage to do something very different. Like I would, I would look so out of place, like trying to tell Larry what to do, but (laughs) telling you, maybe showing you like kind of Matt, like this is how this thing that you see, you would, you kind of intuitively understand, like maybe you, you see like, Oh, I see why, why does Thomas Bryant struggle at the rim? That would just be an example. Like I'm helping to like kind of make it. So like, here are the conditions that set that up rather than here's how to make Thomas Bryan a better rim protector.
1: I, I like it. I think that's something fans can can definitely use as a little more context and and something to kind of bridge the gap between here's hardcore, you know, video breakdown at the team level, but, but also more insightful than just like, hey, the Wizards play bad defense.
2: <laughs> or good
1: defense. <laughs> yeah. It's that's been what, a while.
2: That's, that's what we believe, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, because I'm not like a coach. I don't. I can't script this stuff up what, what teams do is just brilliant. It's just incredible how much coaches can see before it happens and how much players can process like I can only stake what I've seen and I can kind of re-engineer it and that's that to me is the value that I could provide hopefully, I guess we'll see how many subscribers sign up you know to tell
0: well yeah that's good i'm interested i I'll, I'll definitely uh definitely check it out you definitely need that color. I mean, you, you need that color of, of what's going on, how it's going on, because there's so many stats out there now. I mean, there's, you know, like you said, number two in the league of, you know, slow, fast breaks. So right. just, you know, from, <laughs> from a fan standpoint to to have color that goes along with those stats, because I see a bunch of those stats. I'm like, another one? Right. Uh, another one? So it's, it's, it's good to have that color, um, you know, to go behind it that's not necessarily a strategic sort of move uh, but just color behind the, the, the why. Right. I mean, any stat,
2: I mean, I, I think, you know, this is going to be, this is, I think a lot of media companies are into this trouble. I think a lot of, and I have so much I love the analytics, like you said, I think they're really, they're really interesting, but I think a lot of people just sort of mistaken, there's like a psychological term for this and I forgot what it's called, but where, where the number becomes like the theory is when you run into trouble, like every number, has to have like some foundational qualitative theory behind why you're measuring it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, I think a lot of times people feel like, look at all these numbers and feel like, Oh, we know so much more because we can measure so many different things. But like, Why are you measuring those things? What are you trying to figure out? That's, I think what, like the, the stat of like, kind of how the Lakers score most on off miss shots or, or whatever. I think it's, it's by a friend of mine, but I think he, he's from DC, Ben fall Ben fall yeah. cleaning the glass. Um, who I think interned for the Wizards, maybe around the time you were there. Now he then he worked for the Sixers, and he worked for Portland. Um, I mean, that stat alone, what it all it really demonstrates is that when you run, are you successful at it? And it's just being able to understand that that's what it's measuring, and it's not measuring something super esoteric. I mean, it's it's a challenge, but like I mean, that that's the way I try to look at it because there is just so much. Like you can, I mean you can measure like how well someone shoots off one dribble, two dribbles, you know, from this spot on the floor, that spot on the floor, but it has to have like sort of some theoretical backing within how the game is actually played. And it's, it's very easy to lose sight of that. And I think that's what i hopefully this tries to solve.
1: Yeah. That, that context is huge. And and we definitely encourage people to check it out against Praetis Pictures. Uh, Mike, thanks for taking some time to talk through it with us and, and hey. give us a peek at what you're working on.
2: It was a pleasure. Um, thanks so much for having me. And um, I mean, again, it's, it's, it feels weird that I'm being asked the questions here. It's a fun role reversal, right? It feels very strange. Like now I want to know about like, uh, when you guys blew that 10 point lead in 2005 before Gil rescued you, like how scared were
0: you? <laughs> is, 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 is that the, the Bulls game? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? It's, it's all a part of, you know, playoff basketball. It's, it's it's all a part of playoff basketball and uh
2: fucking Janeiro pargo
0: yeah we we gain we gained respect for for those guys but like I, I don't think we were worried uh we i mean if we could have took those guys out in you know in the back alley i mean we were we were ready to take those guys out in the back alley
2: oh uh, yeah <laughs> that was a fun year uh i also just think that like you and Gil had like a very modern sort of setup that you see a lot more today than you did then like in terms of how you guys distributed ball handling and shooting and playmaking it's just very unique
0: we we had a a lot of fun and i mean you know we would play games within the games and we would take turns and we would call plays where we knew we would end up you know with the ball back in our hands you know that was really um i mean we were teammates but we were like connected at the hip man
2: yeah yeah Fun times. Well, anyway, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate yeah. it. Good luck, everybody. Stay safe.
1: Yeah. Thanks. You too, man. And, and keep in touch along the way. And we look forward to, to checking the newsletter out too. So thanks. And uh, thank you. Take care. Stay safe. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. All right, everyone. That was our interview with Mike Prada, uh, formerly of uh, Bullets Forever, where where I do a little writing on the side here too. So uh, definitely make sure to check him out. You know, really unfortunate what's going on with with a lot of the sort of media media furloughs at the at the moment. But Mike, as you got from that, obviously it, it is trying to, to think about you know basketball in a different way and, and provide some some different context for people. So I encourage you to check out um, again it's Prada's pictures, P-R-A-D-A, uh, and you can find him on all you know twitter and all the other social media platforms too for for more information and uh, you know more analysis from him too so uh, thanks again everybody as always hope you're staying safe this is believe in wizards b-l-e-a-v please check us out send us some suggestions for for guests and make sure to rate review subscribe all that good stuff all right until next week